Welcome to Connect Church. We're a new church in the East Windsor Heightstown area, and we're a church that is looking to connect to Jesus and community. We're so glad you've joined us. Hello everyone, welcome to Connect Church. My name is Frank, I'm the pastor here. Just wanna welcome you and say we're so glad that you're either watching or listening with us today. And today we're kicking off a new series called Frequently Asked Questions. We're going to walk through some of the more difficult questions that there are within our faith. Um, And and as we do that, I just want to preface this by saying there's often three ways to kind of wrestle through these. The first one is taking um, a statement that may be not true about God, but thinking it is. And so we make that a contradiction um, where these two sides are opposed. And so essentially uh, a fun example, you can't be a Giants and an Eagles fan. Those two things just don't go together. and sometimes we have thoughts about God and then life is different. And so they feel like they contradict. These two things can't be true. So what do I do with that? The second way that we walk into it is to view it as a paradox. Um, this is where it seems like these two things contradict each other. But upon further inspection, there's clarity. Um, so you could look at something and it seems like there may be some conflict here. Um but there actually isn't. There's clarity. And so, for example, someone may be a Philadelphia Sixers fan and a New York Yankees fan. And you may look at that and go, there's no way you can root for Philly and New York teams. But then you step back and it's like, so I this family member who loved the Yankees and they taught me that. And another one who loved basketball and they taught me the Sixers. And so looking at it, there's clarity. It's not actually a contradiction. The last part of this is that there's a mystery. Some things we will just never understand, like being a Cowboys fan. Sorry if you're a Cowboys fan, but there are just some things that we'll never understand. I don't know about you. Um, I have a few of them, and, and I'm excited one day to see God and to be able to ask them and to wrestle with it. But today is our first one in wrestling with these three ideas. Life after death is something, if we're honest, that we all ponder what happens at the end of this. And, and, I, and I don't know about you, but these last two years have been hard. I've seen just a lot of people lose, people they care about. And, and, and again, every time that happens, you wrestle with this idea of what happens after we die. On top of that, I read an interesting article this week as Halloween was approaching. And I don't know about you, um, but I feel like the scale on like decorating for Halloween was turned up exponentially these last couple years. Um, Heightstown and East Windsor is known for closing one street and people go all out Friday or Monday night as I was walking down it I'm like people had like full Broadway plays happening in their yard they were decorated more than some people decorate for like Christmas Um, and they were saying that part of the reason um, that we have become so fascinated with Halloween and and even death right Um, I don't know about you a bunch of people had those huge skeletons in their yard and so like it makes us wrestle with this idea of what happens after we die people who follow God uh, we know that there's a promise of eternity with him But we also know that there's a promise for people who don't know him that they spend eternity away from him. That idea is called hell. Now, I don't know about you, um, but I grew up in a time in the church where that was really emphasized to scare you and to make you kind of be like, there's no way I would ever do that. So I'm going to follow God. 
And so even today, as, as I say that word, there's a tension in it. And that tension is where we go back to the beginning. Is it a contradiction? Is it a paradox? Is it a mystery? How is it that a God who is supposed to be loving could send someone to a place so terribly? Is he actually as loving as we think? Or is he kind of just like cruel and mean? Well, today we're going to walk through that a little bit and what the Bible teaches about this and how we kind of reconcile these two ideas and land on the fact that God really is loving. So Jesus taught about hell more than any of the biblical authors. Uh, this is fascinating. I, I didn't even realize this as I was heading into this. Sometimes I thought that it was like an idea Paul made up later in scripture, um, and, and but Jesus actually teaches about it a lot. Um, and so we're going to walk through some of the passages that he explains what it is. So in Matthew 25, we first read this. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Then he also continues in a different part of Matthew, where he says that those who give into their sin will be in danger of the fire of hell. He says this, But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Now, a different part of Matthew, he says, So if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand or one foot than to be thrown into eternal fire with both of your hands and feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Now, Jesus speaks very seriously about this idea of eternity away from him. And, it, and it's just fascinating, again, in our world where we don't take it this seriously. We look at it and we think, there's no way a loving God could do that. There's no way that that could happen, so it must not be true. However, again, Jesus speaks very seriously about this issue. The word Jesus uses for hell here is called Gehenna. It's a valley in which piles of garbage were stacked on top of each other, and then they would be burned daily. Now, I don't know about you, um, there's a dump in Burlington that I drive by a lot back when I could smell. Um, I would go through there and I'd be like, this stinks. Now imagine, again, a valley where trash is stacked on top of each other and burned. Not a great smell. Jesus is saying that our spirituality decomposes that way as we go to hell. So essentially, our spiritual life, uh, last week we talked about how there's the natural man and the spirit man. The spirit man is the one that dwells with God forever, and but in this context, it would decompose. Um, in Matthew 10, 28, Jesus also says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Here he's actually speaking to the disciples. And the fascinating thing about this is some of them would eventually be tortured, cut in half, set on fire and burned alive. And he's telling them all of that is immeasurably better than eternity away from God. It makes you realize so if you read church history and, and the way when the church first began and, and the torture that many of followers of Jesus went through, it was because they viewed life with Jesus as most beautiful. 
To them, there was no comparison, and you could do anything you want to me here on this side of things because I know the hope that I have that comes. Jesus is saying, this is a picnic. The torture that you're going through is better than what's to come. So clearly for Jesus, hell was a real place. It's a place not only of physical, but more of spiritual misery. It's a place that's unimaginable because of the pain that will be there. And so if Jesus spoke about this, then it needs to be important. Again, this is one of those things that oftentimes is tough for us to swallow as followers of Jesus. But again, Jesus spoke about it a lot, and so it has to be important. Now, another tension within this and this idea, Jesus also hits in Matthew 7. He says this, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow. The road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Here, Jesus is saying the way to heaven, this kingdom that he's talking about to life, it's difficult and narrow. Sometimes there is something awesome, but only few people ever actually realize it. As he says that, I think of back in the day when I lived in Hopewell, um, there was a, a path along the canal. And there was this one spot where if you look through the trees a little bit, there was a rope swing into the Delaware River. Uh, a couple times I did it with some of the people that I was biking or walking with, and it was a lot of fun. But the interesting thing is that many people walked by that and never knew that it was there. This is a little bit of what Jesus is saying here. There's a path that leads to life. It's incredible, but many people will never find it. And if you do find it on top of that, it's really hard to stay with it. Now you contrast that right to the way of hell where he says it's easy to find it. Many choose it. Once you're on it, it seems easy. You get, uh, oftentimes you get happiness and items and things that you want and the world tells you that are good, but it doesn't lead to the life that we're thinking. Now, if you're anything like me, you would ask, why would God do it that way? Why would he make what is good so hard? And why would he make what is easy so bad? Why wouldn't he reverse that? Why is the gate to the kingdom so narrow? And this is where we begin to see the plan that God has in place. The reason that that is is because there's only one person who brings us towards that place, and it's Jesus. Again, why only through Jesus? Because there was only one way that our salvation could be accomplished. Our condition was so grave, our penalty was so severe, that there was nothing that we could do to make us right with God. And only the sacrifice of someone sinless and holy could pay our ransom for the mistakes and the sin that we would make. We couldn't be good enough. We couldn't grow strong enough. We couldn't become wise enough. Or we couldn't even accumulate enough wealth to pay for it. Something had to pay in our place. Narrow tells us the gravity of the situation. We were so hopeless, but there was only one way. A narrow way forces us to recognize the love of God. We were in trouble and God knew it. And this is the ultimate expression of love. That we're along this wide path that is so easy and, and it's so incredibly easy to walk past the narrow path that leads to life. 
And without Jesus, we probably wouldn't even be able to see it because we just can't be good enough. As we read the story of Scripture, we see man after man after man who fell short of the standard of God. But Jesus, he came and he died in our place so that we could have access to God forever. There was only one way and God didn't hesitate. That's true love. Think about this. If there's someone you care about and oftentimes they ask you to help, we don't hesitate. We, we are like, yeah, whatever you need, I got it. I'm there for you. Uh, just text me, let me know, and, and I'll do whatever you need. Uh, we don't hesitate to care for people that we love. And so God saw us in a state where we needed him, and he sent Jesus. And oftentimes as we read passages like this, we think, well, maybe if the way to heaven or to God was wider, that more people would get there. And the heart of that question is, am I more loving than God? Am I really saying, yeah, I just care all about all these people to come and know God and God, why don't you love people like I love people? And then we realize that's not what we know of who God to be. First, he came so that we could know him. But then second, he gives us so many opportunities to respond to him. He sends people every day to represent who he is and to share it with us. And then it's also our job to do the same. See, maybe it's, it's less about is God loving and more about us. Do you feel awkward or uncomfortable talking about Jesus and him being the only way to God? Do you feel like taking an exclusive stance like that is not the right thing to do in an age of being inclusive? As to say something like that, you like cringe and you're like, oh, I don't know if I... And, and, and I just want to be clear as I say that the kingdom of God isn't exclusive. It's open to everyone. This is an open invitation. But again, Jesus also says that he is the way to this kingdom. He's the way to life. Everyone's invited to the party, but ultimately we all make our own decision on what we want to do with the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so with this, it shows us how dependent we are on God. See, most commentators, as they read these passages where Jesus speaks about hell, they don't think that he's talking about literal fire and darkness. They say that it's mostly metaphorical. Now, let me tell you, that still isn't that comforting, but... What then are the fire and darkness symbols for? There are ways to describe what happens when we lose the presence of God. Darkness refers to the isolation that we feel when God isn't present. Think about a time where maybe it was just really dark and you didn't have a light and you, you couldn't find your way and how paralyzing darkness can be where you're stumbling and looking for your way. When God isn't there to direct our steps, that's how we feel. Fire is a, is a look at what happens when we're separated from God. Away from the favor and the face of God, we disintegrate. We endlessly fall apart. That one of the teachings that Jesus said that's the hardest for us to hear is that when he says, or God says, depart from me, to simply be away from God is the worst thing that can happen to us. Why? Because we are originally created to walk with God. 
Again, we talked about this in the past couple series, but as we read in Genesis 1, that the, the goal of life is to live in communion and community with God. And so when that's taken away, and as sin separates us from that, all of the life, the joy, the love, the strength, the hope, the forgiveness, the meaning that we are looking and longing for is taken away. It's absent because it's meant to be found in him. And so when that's taken away, it's like it's burned up and all of the hope and the desires. It's like writing on a piece of paper and you throw it in the fire and you watch it burn. Essentially, our hope, our forgiveness, all of those things are burned up. That's why for Paul, hell is an exclusion from the presence of God. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, he says this. He says, they will be punished with eternal destruction forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. And this thought to him is worse than fire. It's worse than darkness. Separation from God is the reality to which all of these symbols point. When Jesus speaks being of being destroyed, he's using a word here, apolumi, and, and what he's saying is, it, it means to be annihilated or put out of commission, to be totaled and ruined um, as if it's no longer used for its intended purpose. Think of a car when you get into an accident. Um, sometimes you end up totaling your car, right? It no longer is able to serve the purpose of getting you where you need to go. And so the car is thrown away. So that is what Jesus is saying here, that we are totaled. So what does it mean that a human soul is totaled? It means it doesn't exist. It becomes incapable of all the things that it was created for. Reasoning, feeling, choosing, receiving love, joy. Because the human soul was built for worshiping God and we find all of that in him. And in this world right now, we know that even though it's not perfect, that there is still the existence of God and good. And so even in this world, people who don't live for God and they turn away from him, they have the ability to experience wisdom, joy, love, goodness, because God is present here still. But when we lose God's presence completely, the result is hell. It's separation from God. It's that we can no longer experience what we were created for, life with God. This unveils the seriousness and the danger of living life for ourselves. In Romans 1-2, we see that God gives those who reject him their own desires. He gives them what they wish for. The worst punishment that we can actually have is that he would let us live for the desires that we want. Again, we talked in the last couple series about how our desires are often skewed and move away from desiring God. And God is loving enough to let us choose and to desire what we want. The desire of the human heart is often for independence. We want to choose our own way. We want to go our own way. We want to do what makes us happy. And, and what we're seeing is that desire brings us away from life. In Isaiah 53, we read this. It says, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. We want to get away from God. But this desire is destructive. This desire leads us to a place of being away from the one that we were created to know and have relationship with. 
in Genesis, Cain is warned that, that to choose to sin was to choose slavery. That it would destroy his ability to love and have joy. And we see that play out. Sin brings blindness. The more you reject the truth about God, the harder it is to see him. The more we become incapable of perceiving truth and who God really is. So then, if all of this is true, what is hell? It is God giving us the ability to freely choose what we want. To go our own way. To be our own master. If the thing that you want to worship most in this life is God and you desire him fully, he will meet you there. You will get God. But if the thing that you want is to be your own master and to follow your own desires, then the holiness of God is painful. And again, God will give you what you want. It will be, God will be something you flee forever. He will give you your desires. And at some point, we'll realize the emptiness that comes in living life for ourselves. The idea of hell, again, is often hard to take in because it seems unfair. Infinite punishment and separation from God sounds harsh. I don't know about you, but I don't really know anyone that bad. Like even people who don't know and follow Jesus, they're not that bad where, they, where it feels like they deserve this. But Jesus' teaching on hell answers this. It tells us that people only get an eternity with what they want most in life here and now. It's either to love God or to be their own savior. Today, what, where are your desires leading you? Are they leading you closer to God and knowing him more fully? Or are they building us up and getting, giving into our flesh and our own desires in a world that is clear that self-centeredness is the mark instead of living for God, we're seeing the, the blindness and, and, and the tension of that being lived out. I don't know about you, but I can look all around me and see people who are miserable and not happy. And the more self-centered we get, the more into our own desire we get, the more pain we experience relationally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Because we were meant to be created and to live in relationship again with God. On the other hand, a soul that is decided to center its life on God will move with increasing joy and wholeness. And even as I say that, let me again, let me just say that doesn't mean life is going to be perfect and great. I can say my own life lately has been difficult. Been walking through just a lot of things that are tiring and exhausting and at times make me want to say like what's the point of this? But then I'm reminded this isn't about how I feel and the things. It's about the one who came and gave up his right as God to know me. And yeah, it's hard. The path is narrow to him. But as I find him, I see how incredibly my life is changed. The peace, the joy, the love that I experience. It teaches us that the only way to know how much Jesus loves us is to know how much he did for us. Again, in Matthew 10, Jesus says that the no physical 
destruction compares to spiritual destruction. The losing the presence of God is the most painful thing that we can experience. And this is what happened to Jesus on the cross when he was forsaken by the Father. When God turns his back on him because of all of the sin on him and God's holiness and they can't stay together. We see that Jesus experienced the separation from God. And the pain that he is in because of this. In Luke 16, in verse 24, there's a story about a man who was rich and ends up in hell. And he's looking and he has a vision of heaven and he's complaining about how thirsty he is. And then on the cross, Jesus said, I thirst. The water of life, the presence of God was taken from both of these people. And we will never begin to understand the depths of what Jesus did on the cross for us until we understand this. His body was being destroyed in one of the most brutal ways that it could be, but that paled in comparison to what was going on in his life, spiritually, to his soul. When he cried out that God had forsaken him, he was experiencing hell itself. He was experiencing the absence of God for the first time. Again, this makes sense when we consider how close Jesus and the Father were. They were infinitely and eternally together, and in that moment, they were separated. Think about it. When a mild acquaintance um, says they no longer want anything to do with you, it hurts. It stings. Now, but if it's someone who's closer, who you've walked life with for a long time, that is much more painful. The longer, the deeper, the more intimate the relationship, the harder separation is. And here, the son's separation from the father was brutal. It was excruciating for Jesus. When Jesus was cut off from the presence of God, he went into the deepest, darkest place. And he experiences the full wrath of God. And he did that voluntarily for us because he loves us so, so much. His heart was that none of us would experience the pain that he did on the cross. Jesus suffered more than anyone, but he looks at us and he says, it was worth it because I love you and I'm for you and I care about you. I have plans for you. What could make us feel more valued and loved than that? No other God has depicted that type of love for us where he would go to the ultimate place of pain and darkness, separation from God, so that we could be reunited with him. And so today as we close, I just want to invite you to make some decisions. Today, maybe you're watching this or, or listening and you've never um, come to trust and to know who Jesus is and what he did for us. The narrow way is filled with love and kindness. It was created by the most incredible display of love. Again, this tension of heaven and hell feels cruel and it feels difficult and it feels hard to swallow, but it is covered in love. It's a way that is found through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It leads us to freedom unlike anything else our own desires can bring. Maybe today you're here and you've just been following your own desires and you know what they are. Maybe it was to achieve status or wealth or, or what you fill in the blank and you're realizing that it hasn't brought you the life that you thought that it would. This is where what Jesus did for us is so important. He stepped into the lowest, darkest place so that we could find him and that we could have life. 
And it's in his death, his resurrection, where we find it. It's trusting the work that he did on the cross where we can be made right with God once again. And today, if you've never made that decision before, wherever you're watching, you can just say, Jesus, I trust you. And what you did on the, thank you for going to the lowest place, to separation from God so that I could know you, that I don't have to be separated from you, that even now I can be in right relationship with you. And you can, again, you can pray that where you are. And if you do today, I just want to encourage you, click the link that says, I've decided to follow Jesus. Fill that out. Let us know. We would love to walk alongside of you, um, to, to celebrate in this with you with baptism and also get you connected to our discipleship pipeline where you can grow and learn more of, of who Jesus is and, and how we can love him and follow him. For those of us who do follow Jesus today, I just want to encourage you. This isn't a message that, that talks about this topic and is trying to scare you, but I want to, again, just talk about how loving and gracious our God is. In Scripture, we see that God is patient with us. In Peter, it says this, The Lord isn't really being slow, and His promise... God is patient with us. In scripture, we read this. It says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he is being patient for our sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. God is incredibly patient. And as we again read the story of scripture in the Old Testament, we see stories where God is ready to, to move and, and, and to bring judgment but someone begs and says, God, would you just give a little more time? And we see that he does. Because his heart is that everyone would come back into right relationship with him. We know that God is loving. And he put it on display for all to see. And we see that in one of the most famous verses that people like to quote. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. The fact that God loves us, that God loves your family, friends, neighbors, co-workers so much that he moved heaven and earth to reach us and to be with us, it should move us. This is a story that shows us how incredibly loving he is. This is not a story about destruction, punishment, or unachievable standards. It's a story of love, of sacrifice, of grace, of a God who wants to be with us. His heart is that we would all desire to know him, but he's also loving enough to let us live the way that we want to. That story should spur each of us and every one of us to want to share this about an incredible, loving, life-saving, good God who came and changed everything for us. We need to know it and we need to tell it. Would we live in a way that compels those who may be on a wide path to reconsider the way that they're living? Would they pause and look at our lives? And would they say, why would they give that up? Why would they choose to go that way? Why are they so loving and compassionate? 
And perhaps they would stop following their own desires and the masses down the easy road. And for a second, they would pause and check out the path of least resistance. And they would begin to walk towards life now and forever to choose Jesus, the one who brings us this life. Today, I want to encourage you. Again, Jesus said that this way would be difficult. It's difficult because it costs us. In Matthew 19, we see the story of a young man and Jesus asks him how to find life. And he says, obey the commandments. And Jesus says, you're correct. But now go and sell everything. And the man walks away sad because he had a lot of wealth. And his desire was still for that over for God. He had a lot of stuff. See, this way of living, it costs us now. It costs us our comfort, our approval, our power, and our control. But as we give that up, man, we find life that is life to the full and life forever. People may accuse you of being ignorant. How could you claim that there's one way to God? How old-fashioned, how close-minded, but we know that in, this, in the story of God, we know it's not going to be easy. But we also read that Jesus is the way to life forever. It might be difficult, but it's so worth it. God saved us from so much, and because of it, we can be with him forever. Without it, we could never understand our complete dependence on God. We need him. We can't do this on our own. The cost of our desires, again, is life away from God now and forever. But the true measure of the costly love of Jesus is that his grace and his love saves us from that. That even as our desires may wander and we may walk uh, away from God for a time, we know that as we repent and turn to him, he's there because he loves us. He's patient and he's kind and he's good. Would we respond out of love to the one who loves us deeply? This isn't something we should fear or we should worry because it's about a God who came to us in love. Our theme as a church this year again is to be kingdom hearted. And this week, just take some time and would you evaluate this? Are you bringing heaven to earth and desiring the kingdom of God to reign in your life? that your desires become aligned with his? Or are we living for our own desires? And in doing so, we're bringing another kingdom, our own kingdom, the kingdom of the enemy. How we live now matters. Again, this is an incredible story of love and God coming to us. Do we model that with everything that we are? God is loving and he's kind and he's good, but he also lets us choose the things that we go after in our life. What are we going to do with that choice? Today, join me as we close in prayer. Jesus, today, we just thank you for who you are, for your love for us, that you would come to this earth, that you would allow yourself to be separated from, the, from God and the pain that that caused you in that moment, but you did it because of your love for us. Would that love just remind us of how infinitely valued we are today, that we're forgiven, that we're made whole in the sacrifice that you made for us, and most of all, we're made right with you. 
Would that bring hope to our hearts? And would the way that we live show that love in the way that we talk, in the way that we serve, in the way that we care for others? Would we be part of bringing this kingdom here? Would we live in such a way that people want to join us in the harder, in the narrow way to you? But it's worth it because it leads us to you now and it brings life forever. Again, we're just so humbled that you would come and you would die in our place so that we could know you. We thank you for that today. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this encourages you to take your next steps in your faith journey with God. You can check us out more on connectchurchnj.com. Have a great day.